Section Zero. Um. The Works of the Right and Honorable Edmund Burke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Works of the Right Honorable Edmund Burke. Volume One. By Edmund Burke. Advertisement. To the Reader. Footnote. Prefixed to the first octavo edition, London F. and C. Rivington, 1801, comprising volumes 1 through 8 of the edition in 16 volumes issued by these publishers at intervals between the years 1801 and 1827. End of footnote. The late Mr. Burke, from a principle of unaffected humility, which they, who were in the most immediately acquainted with his character, best known to have been in his estimation one of the most important moral duties, never himself made any collection of the various publications with which, during a period of forty years, he adorned and enriched the literature of his country. When, however, the rapid and unexampled demand for his reflections of the revolution in France had unequivocally testified his celebrity as a writer, some of his friends so far prevailed upon him that he permitted them to put forth a regular edition of his works. Accordingly, three volumes in quarto appeared under that title in 1792, printed for the late Mr. Dodsley. That edition, therefore, has been made the foundation of the present, for which a form has been chosen better adapted to public convenience. Such errors of the press as have been discovered in it are here rectified. In other respects it is faithfully followed, except that in one instance an accident of little moment has occasioned a slight deviation from the strict chronological arrangement, and that, on the other hand, a speech of conspicuous excellence on this declining the pole at Bristol, in 1780, is here, for the first time, inserted in its proper place. As the activity of the author's mind, and the lively interest which he took in the welfare of his country, seized only with his life, many subsequent productions issued from his pen which were received in a manner corresponding with his distinguished reputation. He wrote also various tracts of a less popular description, which he designed for private circulation in quarters where he supposed they might produce most benefit to the community, but which, with some other papers, have been printed since his death, from copies which he left behind him fairly transcribed, and most of them corrected as for the press. All these, now first collected together, from the contents of the last two volumes. A footnote, comprising the last four papers of the fourth volume, and the whole of the fifth volume of the present edition. End of footnote. They are disposed in chronological order, with the exception of the preface to Brissot's address, which, having appeared in the author's lifetime, and from delicacy not being avowed by him, did not come from within the plan of this edition, but has been placed at the end of the last volume, on its being found deficient in its just bulk. 
the several posthumous publications as they from time to time made their appearance were accompanied by appropriate prefaces these however as they were principally intended for temporary purposes have been omitted some few explanations only which they contained seem here to be necessary the observations on the conduct of the minority in the session of seventeen eighty three had been written and sent by mr burke as a paper entirely and strictly confidential but it crept surreptitiously into the world though the fraud and treachery of the man he had employed to transcribe it and as usually happens in such cases came forth in a very mangled state under a false title and without the introductory letter the friends of the author without waiting to consult him instantly obtained an injunction from the court of chancery to stop the sale what he himself felt on receiving intelligence of the injury done him by one from whom his kindness deserved a very different return will be best conveyed in his own words the following is an extract of a letter to a friend which he dedicated on the subject from a sick bed bath fifteenth february seventeen ninety seven my dear lawrence on the appearance of the advertisement all newspapers and all letters have been kept back from me till this time mrs burke opened yours and finding that all the measures in the power of dr king yourself and mr woodford had been taken to suppress the publication she ventured to deliver me the letters to-day which were read to me in my bed about two o'clock this affair does vex me but i am not in a state of health at present to be deeply vexed at anything whenever this matter comes into discussion i authorize you to contradict the infamous reports which i am informed have been given out that this paper has been circulated through the ministry and was intended gradually to slide into the press to the best of my recollection i never had a clean copy of it but one which is now in my possession i never communicated that but to the duke of portland from whom it i had it back again but the duke will set this matter to rights if in reality there were two copies and he has one i never showed it as they know to any one of the ministry if the duke has really a copy i believe his and mine are the only ones that exist except that was taken by fraud from loose and incorrect papers by to whom i gave the letter a copy as soon as i began to suspect him capable of any such scandalous breach of trust you know with what anxiety i got the loose papers out of his hands not having reason to think that he kept any other neither do i believe in fact unless he meditated this villainy long ago that he did or does now possess any clean copy i never communicated that paper to any one out of the very small circle of those private friends from whom i concealed nothing but i beg you and my friends to be cautious how it let it to be understood that i disclaim anything but the mere act and intention of publication i do not retract any one of the sentiments contained in that memorial which was and is my justification addressed to the friends for those use alone i intended it 
had i designed it for the public i should have been more exact and full it was written in a tone of indignation in consequence of the resolutions of the whig club which were directly pointed against myself and others and occasioned our succession from that club which is the last act of my life that i shall under any circumstances repent my temperaments and explanations there would have been if i had ever had a notion that it should meet the public eye in the meantime a large impression amounting it is believed to three thousand copies had been dispersed over the country to recall these was impossible to have expected that any acknowledged production of mr burke full of matter likely to interest the future historian could remain for ever in obscurity would have been folly and to have passed it over in silent neglect on the one hand or on the other to have then made any considerable changes in it might have seemed an abandonment of the principles which it contained the author therefore discovering that with the exception of the introductory letter he had not in fact kept any clean copy as he had supposed corrected one of the pamphlets with his own hand from this which was found preserved with his other papers his friends afterwards thought it their duty to give an authentic edition the thoughts and details on scarcity were originally presented in the form of a memorial to mr pitt the author proposed afterwards to recall the same matter in a new shape he even advertised the intended work under the title of letters on rural economics addressed to mr arthur young but he seems to have finished only two or three detached fragments of the first letter these being too imperfect to be printed alone his friends inserted them in the memorial where they seemed best to cohere the memorial had been fairly copied but did not appear to have been examined or corrected as some trifling errors of the transcriber were precipitable in it the manuscript of the fragments was a rough draft from the author's own hand much blotted and very confused the third letter on the proposals for peace was in its progress through the press when the author died about one half of it was actually revised in print by himself though not in the exact order of the pages as they now stand he enlarged his first draft and separated one great member of his subject for the purpose of introducing some other matter between the different parcels of manuscript designed to intervene were discovered one of them he seemed to have gone over himself and to have improved and augmented the other fortunately the smaller was much more imperfect just as it was taken from his mouth by dictation the former reaches from the two hundred and forty-sixth to near the end of the two hundred and sixty-second page the latter nearly occupies the twelfth pages which follow a footnote the former comprising the matter included between the paragraph commencing i hear it has been said and etc and that ending with the words there were little or no materials and the latter extending through the paragraph concluding with the words disgraced and plagued mankind End of footnote. no important change not at all affecting the meaning of any passage has been made in either 
though in the more imperfect parcel some latitude of discretion in subordinate points was necessarily used there is however a considerable member for the greater part of which mr burke's reputation is not responsible this is the inquiry into the condition of the higher classes which commences in the two hundred and ninety-fifth page a footnote at the paragraph commencing with the words in turning our view from the lower to the higher classes and etc End of footnote. the summary of the whole topic indeed nearly as it stands in the three hundred and seventy-third and fourth pages a footnote in the first half of the paragraph commencing if then the real state of this nation and etc and a footnote was found together with the marginal reference to the bankrupt list in his own handwriting was the actual conclusion of the letter was dictated by him but never received his subsequent correction he had also preserved as materials for this branch of his subject some scattered hints documents and parts of a correspondence on the state of the country he was however prevented from working on them by the want of some authentic and official information for which he had been long anxiously waiting in order to ascertain to the satisfaction of the public what with his own sagacity he had fully anticipated from his own personal observation to his own private conviction at length the reports of the different committees which had been appointed by the two houses of parliament apply furnished him with evidence for this purpose accordingly he read and considered them with attention but for anything beyond this the season was now past the supreme disposer of all against whose instructable counsels it is vain as well as impious to murmur did not permit him to enter on the execution of the task which he meditated it was resolved therefore by one of his friends after much hesitation and under a very painful responsibility to make such an attempt as he could at supplying the void especially because the insufficiency of our resources for the continuance of the war was understood to have been the principal objection urged against the two former letters on the proposals for peace in performing with the revengeful defendants this duty of friendship care has been taken not to attribute to mr burke any sentiment which is not most explicitly known from repeated conversations and from much correspondence to have been decidedly entertained by that illustrious man one passage of nearly three pages containing a censure of our defensive system is borrowed from a private letter which he began to dictate with an intention of comprising in it the short result of his opinions but which he afterwards abandoned when a little time before his death his health appeared in some degree to amend and he hoped that providence might have spared him at least to complete the larger public letter which he then proposed to resume in the preface of to the former edition of this letter a fourth was mentioned as being in possession of mr burke's friends it was in fact announced by the author himself in the conclusion of the second which it was then designed to follow he intended he said to proceed next on the question of the 
facilities possessed by the French Republic, from the internal state of other nations, and particularly of this, for obtaining her ends, and, as his notions were controverted, to take notice of what, in that way, had been recommended to him. The vehicle which he had chosen for this part of his plan was an answer to a pamphlet which was supposed to come from high authority, and was circulated by ministers with great industry, at the same time of its appearance, in October 1795, immediately previous to that session of Parliament, when His Majesty for the first time declared that the appearance of any disposition in the enemy to negotiate for general peace should not fail to be met with an earnest desire to give it the fullest and speediest effect. In truth, the answer, which is full of spirit and vivacity, was written to the letter of the end of the same year, but was laid aside when the question assumed a more serious aspect, from a commencement of an actual negotiation, which gave rise to the series of printed letters. Afterwards, he began to rewrite it, with the view of accommodating it to his new purpose. The greater part, however, still remained in its original state, and several heroes of the Revolution, who are there celebrated, having in the interval passed off the public stage, a greater liberty of insertion and alteration than his friends on consideration have thought allowable would be necessary to adapt it to that place in the series for which it was ultimately designed by the author this piece therefore addressed as the title originally stood to his noble friend earl fitzwilliam will be given the first of the supplemental volumes which will be hereafter added to complete this edition of the author's works. The tracts, most of them in manuscript, which have been already selected as fit for this purpose, will probably furnish four or five volumes more, to be printed uniformly with this edition. The principal piece is an essay of the history of England, from the earliest period to the conclusion of the reign of King John. It is written with much depth of antiquarium research, directed by the mind of an intelligent statesman. This alone, as far as can be conjectured, will form more than one volume. Another entire volume, also, at least, will be filled with his letters to public men on public affairs, especially those of France. This supplement will be sent to the press without delay. Mr. Burke's more familiar correspondence will be reserved as authorities to accompany a narrative of his life, which will conclude the whole. The period during which he flourished was one of the most memorable of our annals. It comprehended the acquisition of one empire in the east, the loss of another in the west, and the total subversion of the ancient system of Europe by the French Revolution, with all which events the history of his life is necessary and intimately connected as indeed it also is, much more than is generally known, with the state of literature and the elegant arts. Such a subject of biography cannot be dismissed with a slight and rapid touch, nor can it be treated in a manner worthy of it, from the information, however, authentic and extensive, with the industry of any man may have accumulated. Many important communications have been received but some materials, 
which relate to the pursuits of his early years and which are known to be in existence have been hitherto kept back notwithstanding repeated inquiries and applications it is therefore once more earnestly requested that all persons who call themselves the friends or admirers of the late edmund burke will have the goodness to transmit without delay any notices of that or of any other kind which may happen to be in their possession or within their reach to messrs rivington's a respect and kindness to his memory will be thankfully acknowledged by those friends to whom in dying he committed the sacred trust of his reputation advertisement to the second octavo edition a footnote london f and c rivington eighteen o three eight volumes and a footnote a new edition of the works of mr burke having been called for by the public the opportunity has been taken to make some slight changes it is hoped for the better a different distribution of the contents while it has made the volumes with the exception of the first and sixth more nearly equal in their respective bulk has at the same time been fortunately found to produce a more methodical arrangement of the whole the first and second volumes as before severally contained those literary and philosophical works by which mr burke was known previous to the commencement of his public life as a statesman and the political pieces which were written by him between the time of his first becoming connected with the marquis of rockingham and his being chosen member for bristol in the third are comprehended all his speeches and pamphlets from his first arrival at bristol as a candidate in the year seventeen seventy four to his farewell address from the hustings of that city in the year seventeen eighty what he himself published relative to the affairs of india occupies the fourth volume the remaining four comprise his works since the french revolution with the exception of a letter to a lord kenmare on the penal laws against irish catholics which was probably inserted where it stands from its relation to the subject of the letter addressed by him at a later period to sir hercules langshire with the same exception too strict regard has been paid to chronological order which in the last edition was in some instances broken to insert pieces that were not discovered till it was too late to introduce them in their proper places in the appendix to the speech of on the nabob of arcot's depths the references were found to be confused and in many places erroneous this probably had arisen from the circumstance that a larger and differently constructed appendix seems to have been originally designed by mr burke which however he afterwards abridged and altered while the speech and the notes upon it remained as they were the text and the documents that support it have throughout been accommodated to each other the orthography has been in many cases altered and an attempt made to reduce it to some certain standard the rule laid down for the discharge of this task was that 
whenever mr burke could be perceived to have been uniform in this mode of spelling that was considered as decisive but where he varied and as he was in the habit of writing by dedication and leaving to others the superintendence of the press he was peculiarly liable to variations of the sort the best received authorities were directed to be followed the reader is trusted will find this object too much disregarded in modern books has here been kept in view throughout the quotations which are interspersed through the works of mr burke and which were frequently made by him from memory have been generally compared with the original authors several mistakes in printing of one word for another by which the sense was either perverted or obscured are now rectified two or three small insertions have also been made from a quarto copy corrected by mr burke himself from the same source something more has been drawn in the shape of notes to which are subscribed his initials of this number is the explanation of that celebrated phrase the swinish multitude an explanation which was uniformly given by him to his friends in conversation on the subject but another note will probably interest the reader still more as being strongly expressive on that parental affection which formed so admirable a feature in the character of mr burke it is in page two hundred and three of volume five where he points out a considerable passage as having been supplied by his lost son a footnote in reflections of the revolution in france indicated by footnote in loco and a footnote several other parts possibly amounting altogether to a page or thereabout were indicated in the same manner but as they in general consist of single sentences and as the meaning of the mark by which they were distinguished was not actually expressed it has not been throughout necessary to notice them particularly a vindication of natural society or a view of the miseries and evils arising to mankind from every species of artificial society in a letter to lord unknown by a late noble writer seventeen fifty six preface before the philosophical works of lord bolingbroke had appeared great things were expected from the leisure of a man who from the splendid scene of action in which his talents had enabled him to make so conspicuous a figure had retired to employ those talents in the investigation of truth philosophy began to congratulate herself upon such a proselyte from the world of business and hoped to have extended her power under the auspices of such a leader in the midst of these pleasing expectations the works themselves at least appeared in full body with and with great pomp those who searched in them for new discoveries in the mysteries of nature those who expected something which might explain or direct the operations of the mind those who hoped to see morality illustrated and enforced those who looked for new helps to society and government those who desired to see the characters and passions of mankind delineated in short all who consider such things as philosophy and require some of them at least in every philosophical work 
all these were certainly disappointed they found landmarks of science precisely in their former places and they thought they received but a poor recompense for this disappointment in seeing every mode of religion attacked in a lively manner and the foundation of every virtue and of all government snapped with a great art and much ingenuity what advantage do we derive for such writings what delight can a man find in employing a capacity which might be usefully exerted from the noblest purposes in a short of sullen labour in which if the author could succeed he is obliged to own that nothing could be more fatal to mankind than his success i cannot conceive how this sort of writers propose to compass the designs they pretend to have in view but the instruments which they employ do they pretend to exalt the mind of man by proving him no better than a beast do they think to enforce the practice of virtue by denying that vice and virtue are distinguished by good or ill fortune here or by happiness or misery hereafter do they imagine they shall increase our piety and our reliance on god by exploding his providence and insisting that he is neither just nor good such are the doctrines which sometimes concealed sometimes openly and fully avowed are found to prevail throughout the writings of lord bolingbroke and such are the reasonings which this noble writer and several others have been pleased to dignify with the name of philosophy if these are delivered in a specious manner and in a style above the common they cannot want a number of admirers as much docility as can be wished for in disciples to these the editor of the following little piece has addressed it there is no reason to conceal the design of it any longer the design was to show that without the exertion of any considerable forces the same engines which were employed for the destruction of religion might be employed with equal success for the subversion of government and that specious arguments might be used against those things which they who doubt of everything else will never permit to be questioned it is an observation which i think isocrates makes in one of his oration against the sophists that is far more easy to maintain a wrong cause and to support paradoxical opinions to the satisfaction of a common auditory than to establish a doubtful truth by solid and conclusive arguments when men find that something can be said in favour of what on a, the very proposal they have thought utterly indefensible they grow doubtful of their own reason they are thrown into a sort of pleasing surprise they run along with the speaker charmed and captivated to find such a plentiful harvest of reasoning where all seemed barren and unpromising this is the fairyland of philosophy and it is frequently happens that those pleasing impressions on the imagination subsist and produce their effect even after the understanding has been satisfied of their ob substantial nature there is a sort of gloss upon ingenious falsehoods that dazzles the imagination but which neither belongs to nor becomes the sober aspect of truth i have met with a quotation in lord coke's report 
that pleased me very much, though I do not know from whence he had taken it. Interdum facuta falstatus, says he, in multis est probatilior at sepi rationbius vincit nadum veritatem. In such cases, the writer has a certain fire and alacrity inspired into him by a consciousness that, let it fare how it will with the subject, his ingenuity will be sure of applause. And this alacrity becomes more greater if he acts upon the offensive, but the impetuously that always accompanies an attack, and the unfortunate propensity which mankind have to the finding and exaggerating faults. The editor is satisfied that a mind which has no restraint from a sense of its own weakness, of its subordinate rank in the creation, and of the extreme danger of letting the imagination loose upon some subjects, may very plausibly attack everything, the most excellent and venerable that it would not be difficult to criticize the creation itself, and that if we were to examine the divine fabrics of our ideas, of reason and fitness, and to use the same method of attack by which some men have assaulted revealed religion, we might, with as good color, and with the same success, make the wisdom and power of God in his creation appear to many no better than foolishness. There is an air of plausibility which accompanies vulgar and reasonings and notions, taken from the beaten circle of ordinary experience, that is admirably suited to the narrow capacities of some, and to the laziness of others. But this advantage is in a great measure lost, when a painful, comprehensive survey of a very complicated matter, and which requires a great variety of considerations, is to be made, when we must seek in a profound subject, not only for arguments, but for new materials of argument, their measures and their method of arrangement, when we must go out of the sphere of our ordinary ideas, and when we can never walk, surely, but by being sensible of our blindness. And this we must do, or we do nothing, whenever we examine the result of reason which is not our own even matters which are, as it were, just within our reach. What would become of the world, if the practice of all moral duties and the foundations of society rested upon having the reasons made clear and demonstrative to every individual? The editor knows that the subject of this letter is not so fully handled as obviously it might. It was not his design to say all that could possibly be said. It had been inexcusable to fill a large volume with the abuse of reason, nor would such an abuse have been tolerable, even for a few pages, if some under plot of more consequence than the apparent design had not been carried on. Some persons have thought that the advantages of the state of nature ought to have been more fully displayed. This had undoubtedly been a very ample subject for declamation, but they do not consider the character of the piece. The writers against religion, whilst they oppose every system, 
are wisely careful never to set up any of their own if some inaccuracies in calculation in reasoning or in method be found perhaps these will not be looked upon as faults by the admirers of lord bolingbroke who will the editor is afraid observe much more of his lordship's character and such particulars of the following letter that they are likely to find of that rapid torrent of an impetuous and overbearing eloquence and the variety of rich imagery for which that writer is justly admired End of section zero read by elijah fisher